Are we good? Are we awake? All right, let's wake up a little bit more. Let's stand up together. Let's read God's word together. It is Genesis chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1. And it says this. The whole earth had the same language and vocabulary. As people migrated from the east, they found a valley in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They used brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we will be scattered throughout the earth. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that we are able to peek into history. And Lord, even though this happened thousands and thousands of years ago, Lord, I pray that as we take a look at this, that we might pull from it um, the nature of man and who you are. God, that we might um, see where we're doing the same things. God, that we might, at the end of this, look to build your kingdom and not ours. So God, I just pray that we would approach this humbly, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to do what it's supposed to do to convict us, and that we might respond to that conviction in a godly way with repentance. So Lord, speak to us today. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right, y'all can have a seat. Well, uh, how many of you have ever heard of the game Cards Against Humanity? I got, I got some chuckles in the first service too. And if you chuckle, that means you know what the game is like. If you didn't chuckle, that means you probably never heard of the game before. Here's a rough uh, estimation of the game. So there's, there's cards and some of the cards will have like a sentence on it and then there's a blank. So it's like a fill in the blank sentence. So you lay that card down and then everyone else is giving cards with like words or sayings or quotes on them and you lay down your card to fill in the blank and it kind of creates a sense. It's kind of like apples to apples if you've, ever, if you've ever played that. However, it's wildly inappropriate. Like don't play this game with your family. Don't play this game with your small group. I may or may not have done that, but neither here or there. Anyways... In 2016, this uh, Cards Against Humanity company decided that they were going to start a fundraising campaign. And you might ask yourself, what are they fundraising for? Are they fundraising for cancer research? Are they fundraising for, you know, to alleviate poverty in third world countries? Are they fundraising for orphanages? No, th this is what they were fundraising for. If you can't tell what that is, it's a hole. <laughs> it's just a giant hole in the ground. Now you may ask yourself, is there a purpose to this hole? Like, is it to build a swimming pool? Is it to dig wells for people to have clean water? No, it's a hole. It's a hole for the sake of a hole. That's what they did. That was their fundraising campaign. And they were completely upfront about this. The Cards Against Humanity people, uh, they set this up and they said this. This was the slogan. If I can find it, where'd it go? Where'd it go? There it is. Here's the slogan. As long as money keeps coming in, we'll keep digging. That was their slogan. And so they told people, and they were upfront about this, that this money is going nowhere. There's no deeper meaning to this hole. Uh, it's just a hole for the sake of a hole. So as long as you keep giving us money, we'll keep digging as long as it happens. And so they were upfront about this. And people asked, 
Cards Against Humanity, they're like, hey, why don't you give this money to charity? And their answer was, why don't you give this money to charity? It's your money. <laughs> and I'm like, fair. So they started digging this hole. And even though the hole meant nothing, it led nowhere. There was no purpose to it. That didn't stop them from raising over $100,000 to dig for two days straight on this hole. And there's a live stream of it. I don't know if the live stream is still up, but if you go on YouTube, you can find videos about this. And it's literally just a video with the crane digging a hole. And they just kept going. You know what happened after they got done digging the hole? They just filled the hole back up and then went along their merry way. They didn't do anything. At the end of the day, as if no one was there. Now, why, why do I tell that story? The reason I tell that story is because a very similar thing happens in today's passage. In the same way that Cards Against Humanity rallied a bunch of people together to dedicate their time and their resources and their effort to eventually digging a hole that meant nothing and it was meaningless and ultimately amounted to nothing. In today's passage, there's a group of people that rallied together to build a city and a tower that meant nothing and ultimately became nothing. And so as we look into this passage, I want to just realize that while we're not also building towers, we're doing very similar things to them. So today we're looking at the Tower of Babel. And raise your hand if you've heard of the Tower of Babel or you've read the story. So like most of us know about the Tower of Babel. Let, let me just give you a little bit of background context to it. So this is Genesis 11, so fairly early on in human history. Uh, this is about 100 years after uh, the flood with Noah. So about 100 years. Um, the languages were all unified at this point. People hadn't scattered and spread across the earth yet. So in man's unity of language and unity of people groups, what did they do with that? They didn't decide to chase and pursue after God. Rather, they decided to pursue themselves and build their own city and their own kingdom and their own tower. And it specifically says that they built a tower unto the heavens, which was a very like theological statement, right? Because for them, who lived in the heavens? The gods lived in the heavens. And so what were they going to do? They were going to build a tower to reach up to the gods. And so what happens after that is God comes down and he sees what they're doing and he confuses their languages and scatters them all across the earth. And, and that sounds kind of harsh. It sounds like a harsh punishment, but we're going to talk a little bit about why he did that. But first, what I want to land on is that while we're not building ancient skyscrapers into the sky, we are doing very similar things to them. Every day, we are exchanging the creator for the creation to build our own kingdoms. And so what I want to do is I want to dig into this passage and I want to just point out three things to you. I want to point out um, uh, why they did what they did, how they did what they did, and what happened because of that. And in looking at these three things, we can kind of start to get to the root of what they did um, and then realize maybe we're doing very similar things in our life. And maybe we can, at the end of this, repent of some of those things and turn back to God and build his kingdom and his purposes in our life. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at today. Tower of Babel, we're going to look at why they did it, how they did it, and what happened because of that. So let's get into it. So, number one, why they did it. So pull back up uh, your passage uh, in verse four. So they built this Tower of Babel, and what was the goal of it? And they said... 
Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let's make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. And so some of your versions, this one says um, a tower with its top in the sky. Some of your your versions may say um, a tower unto the heavens. So the goal is to get the tower into heaven um, and different people speculate as to why they were doing this. Some people say since this happened so soon after the uh, flood with Noah that the people were scared of another potential flood so they were going to build a tower to get above the flood so they may not die from it again. Uh, Most historians agree that this is what's called, this is one of the first ziggurats, uh, which is a kind of like tower worship temple that is found in the Middle East. There's a bunch of them that that can be found. uh, and is one of the first ones that they were building up to the heavens to dedicate a temple to worship of the gods. Some of those things may be true, they may not be true, but we don't have to speculate about the ultimate reason as to why they were doing what they were doing here. It, it tells us, so pull back up the verse uh, in verse 4. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Here it is, let us make a name for ourselves. That was kind of the root issue of it. That was the root um, purpose of it, is they wanted to make a name for themselves. As they were gathering around the people, they wanted to build this tower and say, hey, everyone, look at me. Look at me. We're not going to build God's kingdom. We're going to build our kingdom. We're not going to build God's purpose. We're going to build our purpose. We're not going to find ourselves in God's meaning. We're going to find ourselves in our own meaning. And so they want to convey value and purpose and importance. And so what do they do? They build a tower. That's exactly what we do. Have y'all realized that? Like, there's some kind of intrinsic need in us that if, if we want to convey value and importance, we get the bigger and better thing. I've got a bigger house, therefore I'm more important. I've got a better car, therefore I'm more important. I don't know if y'all have ever looked into the kind of a battle that goes on between nations, but nations have long been battling for the, the tallest building uh, in the world. And in the 2000s, the tallest building uh, was called uh, Taipei 101, and it's located in Taiwan. Here, here's a picture of it right here. So this building, uh, for five years, was the tallest building in the 2000s. And just for reference, this building is 1,667 feet tall with 101 floors spanning 4,440,100 square feet. Big building. The elevator in this building could take you from the fifth floor to the 89th floor in just 37 seconds. For reference, this morning I went to our elevator (laughs) and got a stopwatch. To go from the first floor to the second floor, 27 seconds. And that was like, I wasn't even waiting for the door to close, that would add another minute. 27 seconds for our elevator to go from the first floor to the second floor. Their elevator took you from the fifth floor to the eighth and ninth floor in 37 seconds. That is, the elevator tops out at 37.7 miles per hour on there. Like, it's like more of like an amusement park ride than an elevator. So, that was the tallest building in the 2000s. In 2009, though, a new tower took its place as the tallest building, the Burj Khalifa. It's located in Dubai, and it looks like this. So Dubai built this building, and this building um, is 2,722 feet tall, which is over 1,000 feet 
taller than the previous building. So the, here's a picture of them two next to each other. So that's the second tallest building, and that's the tallest building right there. So I can get into the, all the specs of the new building, but, but he, here's the important part, um, is that uh, the reason behind why they built this building, the, the Burj Khalifa. Um, here's a quote from a write-up about the building. It says this. It says, it is designed to be the centerpiece of large-scale mixed-use development. The decision to, to, to construct the building is based on the government's decision to diversify from an oil-based economy, and here's the important part, and for Dubai to gain international recognition. One of the core reasons that Dubai built this building is to say, we're important. Look at us. Does that sound familiar? It's very similar to the Tower of Babel here. Like they were building this city and for all the reasons they were building the city and building this uh, kingdom and this tower, at the core of it was them saying, look at me, I'm important. I wanna build a name for myself. I wanna build a purpose for myself, a meaning for myself. So everyone can look at me and say, that guy, he's valuable. But if we keep looking at the passage, there's actually a step below that for the reasoning. So let's pull back up the passage in verse four. And they said, come let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the sky. Let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered throughout the earth. So in the midst of this narcissistic, arrogant, like me-centered ideology of like, I'm gonna build a tower and reside among God and everything's gonna be about me. Underneath that, what's fueling that is fear and insecurity of I need to make a name for myself, otherwise I'm gonna become nothing. I need to make a tower and proclaim my importance, otherwise we're gonna be scattered beyond the earth and no one's gonna even know who we are. And I think at the root of it, that's a lot of our issues. Like why do we try to build up our own purpose? Why do we try to build up our meaning? It's because we're, we're afraid that we're gonna be nothing if we don't. Like God built within us a, uh, a longing for purpose and a longing for meaning. And that purpose and that meaning is supposed to be aimed at his purpose and his meaning and his kingdom. And when you remove, when you strip out God's purposes, when you strip out God's meaning and God's kingdom from your life, there's a void and you have to fill it with something. And what do you fill it with? The closest thing to you, yourself. You throw yourself right in there and it's like, if I'm not gonna live for God's purposes and God's meaning, then I need to live for someone's purposes and that's myself. And I need to build that up because if I don't build that up and fight for it, then I'm gonna become nothing. I'm gonna be nothing and I'm gonna be scattered. And we're not uh, together building buildings. Like it's funny when you get groups together, like we build up buildings, but we ourselves um, largely aren't building buildings, but we're building things in our lives to convey importance and to convey meaning and purpose. And, and it may be like your job or your family or your house or whatever it is, we're all searching for purpose. And when you find, try to find ways to fill that purpose outside of God, you end up, um, going against God and ultimately uh, becoming nothing because of that. So why did they do what they did? They did it to build a name and a kingdom for themselves for fear of being scattered and becoming nothing. Right, let's go ahead and keep going. So, so next we're gonna look at how they did it. 
And so how did they try to build this tower? So pull back up your passage. We're going to go to verse 3. It says this, they said to each other, come, let us make oven-fired bricks. They use brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. Now, you might read this verse and kind of view it as kind of a throwaway verse of the Bible of just like kind of unnecessary detail. You know, you know how like in um, uh, Exodus, they kind of like start describing how they built everything. And you're like, I don't care how they built everything. And you just kind of skip over those pages. Just me. Just, okay, fine. Um, so uh, they, uh, it's really easy to kind of throw away this verse and say, this is just unnecessary details. But I think there's actually a lot of significance to this verse. And for us to wrap our mind around the significance, we have to wrap our mind around the context of who it was written to. So who is this book written to whenever, whenever it's first written? Anyone? I hear someone saying it. Israelites. There we go. Yeah. It's written to the Israelites. Where did the Israelites spend 400 years? Uh, before that. Egypt. Yeah. They spent 400 years in Egypt, in slavery to Egypt. What did they do in Egypt? They built stuff, right? So you're talking to a generation of builders. Like for generations and generations, they were building. And in Egypt, they actually used both of these, um, uh, both of these materials. So if you pull back up that verse real quick, it says they used brick for stone, asphalt for mortar. So brick and stone, they actually used both of those materials in Egypt. Um, did some research on this. And Dr. David Falk, who is a uh, specialist and a professor in Egyptology, says that because of the nature of both brick and stone, they were both used in Egypt and they both had different use case scenarios. So for brick, it's essentially what they do is they take clay and mud and straw and kind of form it all together into a brick and then they would cure it like in an oven to kind of harden it into a brick, right? So it made it relatively strong. However, it's a man-made product. At the end of the day, it's just mud, clay, and straw. So. Um, it was very kind of susceptible to the elements. And so it would eventually over time start to degrade, right? Stone, however, uh, was already in nature. It's already very dense. It's very strong and it's much, much less affected by the elements, uh, but it's just a little bit harder to work with compared to brick. So because of these two distinct differences, um, Dr. David Falk said that in Egypt, they would use brick, like the man-made material, they would use brick uh, for common temporary projects. And when it came to like permanent long lasting structures, they used stone because that was going to last so much longer, which by the way is true today, right? Like, like we kind of view brick and stone the same way today. I am by no means a uh, builder. Uh, I by no means have uh, expertise on building materials. However, I do have Google and I Googled it and uh, I just Googled brick versus stone. Like no theological significance, brick versus stone. This is the first thing that popped up, um, has no theological significance to it all. It's just talking about brick and stone. This is by a construction company called Greenway Industries. It says this, while brick is very durable, stone takes it to the next extreme. Stone is not only extremely resistant to the elements, but it also has an incredibly long life even compared to brick. Stone can not just last a century, but potentially several, as many ancient monuments can attest. It is also extremely hard to disfigure stone with chips, scratches, and dents. Even a sledgehammer will do less damage to stone than it would to a brick. 
Both brick and stone are very durable materials that can potentially last centuries. However, nothing compares to the sheer immovability of stone. Stone not often just lasts for a lifetime, but several. Now, this is comparing to our modern day brick, right? Imagine comparing stone and brick to back then, thousands and thousands of years ago. There was just not a, di or there was not a close comparison between the use of brick and the use of stone. They both had their use cases, but there's a very clear difference. So with these two distinctions in mind, that brick was man-made, uh, not a permanent structure, uh, stone was more used for permanent structures, I can just imagine that the Israelites, whenever it said they used brick for mortar, oh, sorry, um, brick for stone and asphalt for mortar, I can imagine the Israelites just looking back and going, they're using brick? Like, like they know they, they want this to last a long time, right? Like they know that this core fundamental tower that's gonna define their city and define their kingdom, they know that they want this to be a permanent structure, right? And they're using brick? Like that's not gonna last forever. That's not gonna last a long time. And at this point you might kind of interrupt me if, if you know the, the context behind all this and say, hey Chris, wait, weren't they in the Middle East? Like, like the Babylon, that would have been in modern-day Iraq, in the desert. And so you might ask me, like, hey, there's not even any stone around there. Like, like, aren't they just using the best materials that they possibly could have used? And to that, I would say, yes, exactly. That's the point. They are using the best materials that they can possibly get their hands on, and it's still not enough. And that's the point is that when we try to build our kingdoms, our towers, our own purpose and our life, we have okay materials, but those materials won't last. They may look good for a year or 10 years or maybe even a hundred years, but when uh, standing up against the, the time of history and eternity, they won't stand, they won't last. And what the world is going to tell you is that these materials that you have are good materials. Like your life should be built on your finances and your life should be built on your job and your college and your degrees. Like they're going to say like you should build your life on getting married or they'll say you should build your life on trying to get out of your marriage or they'll tell you like you need to build your life on getting kids or they'll say you need to get rid of your kids. Like they're going to tell you that you need to build your life on all these things. And they're going to say, these are good, solid materials to build your life on. And God is saying, those are bricks. It's just mud and straw. It's not going to hold you. It's not bad things. It's just not going to hold you. And if you want something that's going to stand for eternity, you need to look to me. I'm the living stone. I'm the solid rock. I'm the firm foundation. If you look to me, I'm going to stand forever, and you can be part of that. 1 Peter 2 says this, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone, rejected by people but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones... Are being, built, are, are being built to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is the living stone saying, I have all the materials necessary to build a kingdom and a purpose and a meaning that lasts. And I'm inviting you in on that. You can also partake in this. And so it's only when we say, no God, I don't want anything to do with that. I've got my own stuff over here. 
And I'm going to chase this. That's whenever God says, hold on, you're chasing a purpose outside me that's not going to last. You're using insufficient materials to do that. So how did they try to build this tower? They used insufficient materials that wouldn't last. So those are the first two. So why did they build it? How did they build it? Now let's look at what happened because of that. Let's pick back up in verse 5 of Genesis 11. It says, Then the Lord came down to look over the city and the tower that the humans were building. The Lord said, If they have begun to do this as one people and all have the same language, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech, so that from there the Lord scattered them throughout the earth and they stopped building the city. So what does God do? He, he comes down and he sees that they're dedicating their lives to this tower and to this city. And he says, oh my goodness, like they are coming together and in their unity, they are going against me and for themselves, I need to confuse their language and scatter them across the earth. And, and you might be tempted to look at that and say, like, is, is God insecure in this moment? And is God, does God feel threatened in this moment? And so because God feels threatened, he needs to like scatter them about because they're getting too strong, right? Like, I, I don't think that's what's happening here. And, and I, uh, l- let's look at the passage because I think the passage tells us that that's not what's happening here. So uh, let me throw in some context. So they are coming together and they're saying, we're going to build a tower unto the heavens. We are going to reside among the gods, And in their best efforts to reside among the gods, this is what happens. Verse 5. Then the Lord came down to look over the city. Y'all see that? In their best efforts to reach God, God had to come down to even see what was going on. Some of your versions, um, so this version says to look over the city. Some of your versions say he looks down on the city. So God, in their best, or sorry, these people, in their best attempt, God still had to come down from his throne and look over to see what's going on. This is painting a picture of how big God is and how small we are. Like God is not threatened by us and all of our coming together and all of our plotting and conniving and scheming and building, God is not threatened that we're gonna be as big as he is gonna be. Like, like Isaiah 66, God says, heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Like, you're not going to come up against me. So no, God wasn't threatened. God didn't do this because the people were getting too strong and might overthrow him. That's not what's happening. So if that's not the case, then, then why did he do it? And I think um, ultimately the reason he did this is that he was incredibly saddened and grieved by the people. Again, this happened about 100 years after the flood in uh, Genesis 6. And if you go back to Genesis 6, you'll see that the whole world was wicked. There was only one uh, righteous man that was Noah. And it says that God was grieved by this. And that's why he flooded the world. And I think a hundred years later, he's um, looking down on humans and here they are again, rebelling against him trying to build their own kingdom and their own purpose and their own wickedness. And so I think God was incredibly saddened and incredibly grieved by what he saw of them. And that's why he did what he did. He says it's not good for man to have one language because them working together is accelerating their descent 
into evil. And the more they dig deeper and deeper into evil, the further and further away they get from him. And so uh, I can just imagine that God is like, let's confuse their language and maybe that will slow their descent into evil. And I'm going to pose to you that maybe that was the greatest kindness that he could have done for them. That he saw them giving their lives away and dedicating their lives and their resources and their time and their effort to something that was meaningless. And he comes in and he says, I need to put a stop to this because they're wasting their life. So my daughter Lottie is now two and she uh, grew up being a passy girl, like a pacifier. Like she grew up, uh, or when she was born, she went to the NICU and they gave her a pacifier in the NICU. And uh, ever, from, ever since that point, she's like, I love passy, it's great. Uh, and sometimes we love passy too because uh, it makes her quiet. But we kind of noticed the thing. We, it got to a point where we were like, okay, it's time for the passy to come away. And there's lots of reasons for that. Um, but one of the main reasons for me is whenever um, Lottie had a passy, um, she would be very kind of like reserved and quiet. Like she wouldn't talk that much. But then I noticed when she didn't have the passy, you couldn't get the girl to shut up, right? And I loved that about her. Like I want her to talk. I can't understand what she's saying half the time, but I want her to talk. Uh, and it, what we kind of started to realize is while, while this passy was a great comfort to her, it was actually becoming detrimental to her advancement in her life. And so Randy and I started to work with her and coach her on giving up that passy. And uh, there was at times that we even took the passy away. And you might look at that and you might say, isn't that mean? And isn't that cruel? Like this, this passy gives her great comfort. So like, why are you being mean and trying to take that away from her? And I would agree that me trying to take away something from my daughter that gives her comfort is mean only if I'm not leading her to a place of new life. And that's exactly what happens whenever she has the passy. She's just so quiet and reserved. And whenever she gives up that passy and hands it to me, all of a sudden she just starts talking and it's great and she's alive. And now she doesn't realize that, but I do. And so it's not mean if I'm leading her to a place of new life. In fact, you could make the argument that if I didn't take Passy from her, I would be doing a great disservice to her. And the same thing is true with God here. Like God in his kindness comes down and he scatters their kingdoms and confuses their language because what they're doing is leading their lives to destruction and pain. And God in his kindness says, I need to remove this from you. I need to lead you to a better way, right here. And that's why maybe today, the best prayer that you can pray to God is that he would scatter your kingdoms. That whatever purpose you've built up in your life, that he would remove it from your life. Because whatever kingdoms we're building up are gonna be ultimately uh, destroyed and into nothing, but his kingdom is gonna last forever. So that's the Tower of Babel. Why did they do it? Because they wanted to build up their own name, their own purpose, and their own kingdom. How did they do it? They used insufficient materials that wouldn't last. And what happened because of it? God in his kindness came down and confused their language and scattered them throughout the earth. But here's the great thing. It doesn't end there. 
That's not the end of the Bible. I don't know if y'all realize there's a couple thousand pages past that. So in Genesis 11, God confuses the language and scatters them. And for the first time in history, people groups started to form, nations started to form. And if you know your Bible, you know in the very next chapter, God calls Abraham and says to Abraham, hey, of these nations forming, you're gonna be my nation. You're gonna be one of them. And I'm gonna raise you up and I'm gonna bless you. And through you, the rest of the nations will be blessed. And we see later on in history that, that the very Son of God was born out of this nation of Israel, like the divine incarnated, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and resurrected three days later. And we start to see a glimpse of the redemption plan of God. And after uh, Jesus resurrected, we see in Acts 2, uh, one of the first moments of the early church, the Holy Spirit descends upon his people and the apostles, what happens to them? They start speaking and everyone's hearing it in one language. So we see in Genesis 11, a confusion of languages happens and God starts a redemption plan. And in Acts 2, we see a glimpse of that redemption happening in the languages being unified. But it isn't even in there because it's a glimpse because later on in Revelation 22, um, we see the very last book or chapter of the Bible, um, we see the new heaven and the new earth being made and restored and all of evil and all of sin and all of death is thrown into the lake of fire and out in the, um, in the new earth is the tree of life and it says that the leaves, this is in Revelation chapter 22, says that the leaves on this tree of life are gonna heal the nations. And so while Genesis 11, chaos, turmoil, strife, people groups, war, all are created, God doesn't leave things broke, but God sets a plan to restore those things. And those things are eternity. And here's the, the beautiful thing. If you don't hear of anything else today, like you hear this, is that in God's redemption plan and kingdom that he's restoring of this broken world, he is inviting you into it. He's saying you don't have to live your life trying to find purpose and meaning for fear of being nothing. You can find purpose and meaning in my life and in my kingdom. Let me pray that we do that. Lord, I thank you God, that you love us and that you care for us and that you call us into your purpose and that you call us into your life. And so God, I pray as we close here that you would convict us, that we might be made aware of purposes in our life that aren't yours, of meaning in our life that isn't yours, of kingdoms in our life that aren't yours that we might be convicted of that and that we might repent of that, that we turn it over to you, that we ask that you scatter those things in our life, that we might not waste our life giving efforts to things that don't matter. God, I pray that in the conviction we repent, that we turn to your purpose and your kingdom. In your son's name I pray. Amen.